0: with Joe Biden heading to Tel Aviv today and maybe at least one other world leader is there less risk of a ground invasion into Gaza certainly the market focus is on central banks now with strong US retail sales pushing yields higher is another rate hike coming but other central banks have a reason to be on hold or maybe even declare job done but for Australia well the RBA sounds like they're becoming a little less tolerant of inflation plus which DJ is hanging up his headphones and it's not Kyle Sanderlund's it's someone who ends. Even more money than he does. It's Wednesday, the 18th of October 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, big moves up in bond yields today. 13 basis points added to 10-year treasuries, 10 for German bunds. 10 in France as well, but just three basis points added to UK 10-year gilt yields. Aussie 10-years are up nine basis points to 4.54% yesterday. Now on futures, they're up around 4.63%. And the US dollar has been up and down, but really, ultimately, it's where it was yesterday. But the Aussie is up 0.3% to 63.6 US cents. The euro up 0.1%. The outsider is the pound, which is down a third of 1% this morning. US stocks are pretty flat, but there was quite a lot of movement today, largely in the green for most of the session. But at close, the NASDAQ is down a quarter percent. The S&P is just in the red, the down margin in the green. But we're talking a couple of percentage places in each case. But the Bank of America was up 2.3% today after a rise in their Q3 profits. Goldman Sachs down 2%. After a 36% fall in their profits, maybe their CEO, David Solomon, has been spending too much time DJing on the side, uh, which he has announced he's going to stop doing because of the unwarranted media attention. He's going to focus more on delivering profits. That might be a good idea. He's also 61. I mean, you don't DJ at 61, do you? Uh, if you've done that sort of thing early in life, you settle down and you do finance podcasts in your old age. That's what you do. Uh, the Euro stocks 50 is up just 0.1%, the same for the DAX. Again, the outsider is the UK with the FTSE 100 up 0.6%. And oil is edging up a little in late trade, having been down for most of the session, Half percent up for WTI. Brent is up uh, 0.6%, over 90 a barrel now. And the news this morning is that Joe Biden is going to Tel Aviv. He's going to be there today, in fact, on Thursday, reportedly, the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is also going to be there. They'll no doubt be calling for more restraint, particularly as a missile has hit a hospital in Gaza today with a, uh, a big loss of life. Uh, Tapa Strickland joins me from NAB in Sydney today. Uh, presumably, yeah, the hope is now there won't be a grand invasion, there won't be any further escalation including Iran for example uh, but markets do seem a little less focused on the Middle East today because there's a lot of data to look at which is why we're seeing uh, yields up today uh, and the main data from the U.S. overnight showing great resilience, really, perhaps too much resilience. So retail sales up 0.7% month on month, way more than expected. Good morning, Phil. Yes,
1: very, very strong retail sales numbers overnight. And the headline at least was 0.7, came in against expectations of 0.3. And importantly, the core control measure, which feeds into the GDP figures, was also very strong at 0.6 versus 0.1% expected. So we've all been talking about uh, the U.S. consumer eroding down their savings and expecting some kind of slowing uh, with the US consumer. It hasn't happened yet. And I think really that's strengthened the labour market and labour markets remaining tight is one reason why consumers still are able to find uh, income flows uh, to support uh, consumption growth. And that is perhaps the warning uh, for all central banks out there is uh, many central banks out there are trying to achieve their full uh, employment mandates, really want to hold on to the gains that they did see during the pandem- pandemic. Pandemic. However, keeping a labour market so tight also runs a risk of having activity too strong. And uh, that too strong activity then bleeding over to sticky inflation that seems to be playing out in many countries as well. Um, just to give you some illustration for what kind of impact that could have on US GDP, looking at the US GDP now, the Atlanta Fed measure uh, for Q3, that has now lifted to 5.4% annualised, up from 5.1% last week. So you're talking about an economy that's growing with a five handle. Um, that's a very, very strong economy. And very hard to see the likelihood of rate cuts here. So when you look at market price, Now, Um, markets still only price about three basis points uh, in terms of hikes for November, so not really pricing in the chance of a hike for November. But have lifted the cumulative pricing of a hike by January next year to 15.9 basis points, uh, up from 9.9 basis points on Monday. And interestingly, and this is to do with the market reaction as well, when you look at pricing for cuts in 2024, there's now only 69 basis points worth of cuts priced in 2024. So it's no surprise to see the two-year yield in the US at a fresh... 16-year
0: high, and the 10-year yield up uh, 14 basis points to around 4.85%. Yeah, not far off its high as well. So Thomas Barkin uh, from the Richmond Fed overnight, uh, he spoke after those retail numbers, didn't he, saying he's not going to make a, a, a call on future hikes yet because there's more data to come. But certainly he wasn't uh, arguing that case that you know uh, rising yields are doing the job for them. Uh,
1: the Fed's bargain, uh, had has come across as very measured over recent weeks, uh, and he has spoken quite a lot. But the real interesting thing that I found was he's picking up a bit of a disconnect between all the anecdotes that he, he's hearing as a Fed president when he goes throughout his region. And I think that's one reason why the Beige Book that comes out later today is worth a look at and what we're seeing in the data. So if you look at the data, it tells you demand is not weak. As we noted, the GDP now is saying a very, very solid growth rate. Uh, and data in the labour market does not suggest it's weak. Um, so the key thing really is how does that start to bleed through to the inflation picture? But at least from his liaison with people, he's picking up that uh, the interest-sensitive sectors are feeling the impact from high rates. And businesses that sell to lower-income consumers also say that consumers are relatively stretched and thin and reprioritise Spending, So there may be something happening in the distribution. So the lower-income households are being stretched, the middle-income households are trading down, and the upper-income households are still spending relatively well. Um, After all, they've been able to maintain their real wealth. Um, It's still a very tight labour market if they want to participate in the labour market as as well. And they're probably not as interest-sensitive as well. So it's very unclear exactly where policy should
0: be in that environment. So it just shows that doesn't it, the income divide of monetary policy is just getting screwed harder and harder. And I wonder whether we're going to see the same in Australia. So we've got mortgage repayments now, 33% of income nationally, 40%. In New South Wales, how can you keep raising rates in an environment like that, where forty percent of your income is going on on paying your mortgages, and yet the RBA minutes yesterday said that the board's got a low tolerance for a slower return on inflation to target than currently expected? You know that they're, they're talking hawkishly in those minutes, aren't they? As though they, you know, they are going to do more. I mean, we'll find out. Michelle Bullock's talking later on today at this AFSA summit, so uh, we'll we'll see where hairheads at. But, um, yeah, are we going the same way as the states? Well, the minutes
1: were definitely more hawkish than the post-meeting statement. But, interestingly, we're very much in line with uh, Assistant Governor Kent's Q&A that we are talking about last week, which really led me to think the uh, RBA November meeting was very live. And then uh, if it is live, and our view at NAB is that they will hike in November, then you have to kind of think, well, what will happen next? And we think the RBA would keep their tightening bias – when, when they do hike, uh, under our view. Uh, and then in that situation, the market should be really thinking about uh, does the RBA hike by another one thereafter? Um, in in our view, we've penciled in Q3 trimmed CPI at 1.1% on q which would be above the RBA 0.9%. Uh, and more importantly, by the end of the year, on the year-on-years, uh, that would be 4.3% year-on-year year versus the RBA's forecast of 3.9%. So you're talking about a four-tenths upgrade to their inflation track. And uh, the RBA, according to the post-meeting minutes there, uh, has a low tolerance for a slower return of inflation to target than currently expected. So on our numbers, that should be enough um, to see the RBA go. Also, interestingly, just bringing up the housing market that you're talking about before, Uh, acknowledge the housing affordability issues there, but um, housing turnover is going relatively okay and auction clearance rates are still very, very strong there. And interestingly, the recovery in the housing market could also support consumption, um, especially through the household wealth channels there. So um, it also may also be illustrative of monetary policy not being tight enough if you've still got a relatively buoyant housing market. Um, And just finally, just in terms of why the RBA would hike, um, when you look at actually inflation in Australia, inflation in Australia hasn't fallen by as much as it has in the rest of the world. So you look at the Australian trim mean according to the monthly inflation indicator, it was 5.6% year-on-year in August, and you compare that to the US Dallas Fed's trim mean for the US at 3.9%. Quite a large inflation differential, Australian inflation running higher, and yet our real rate in Australia is still negative when you look at
0: backward-looking inflation. So there we are, two out of two so far for central banks that are likely to still be lifting rates. So can we make it three out of three? Let's have a look at the UK. Some easing in wages growth, which I guess... Could be used, you know, as an argument they're going to keep things on hold. But wages are still up at 8.1% year on year, whereas the headline CPI was at 6.7% last night, so uh, last month. So, spending power is increasing, which you could argue will slow any fall in inflation. We get UK CPI numbers today, so I guess we'll see. But uh, yeah, are, they, are we going? Are they going to make it three out of three in terms of banks that could potentially be lifting?
1: I I, th- I think so. The bias for UK rates. Sh- should be high, just given how elevated inflation there is at, at the moment, and also just given how strong wages growth is, is going there. And admittedly, some of that wages growth is now being driven by the public sector, but in the aggregate sense, it's still adding to overall aggregate incomes. And uh, if you recall what Bank of England um, Chief Economist Peel said recently, uh, he said the Bank of England still had some work to do and that it was cloudy up on Table Mountains. So uh, I think the Bank of England will be feeling uh, the way in terms of how that data flow um, plays out in terms of their outlook for
0: rates. Well, I just hope you don't fall off the edge. I mean, well, that's what everyone would want. You know, if it's too cloudy, maybe rates will come shooting down. Uh, I don't think that's what they meant, though, was it? Uh, So, uh, in two places – so, three out of three, uh, but two that maybe not – New Zealand and Canada. So, both have had inflation. The headline rate, 5.6% year on year in New Zealand, which was softer than expected. Uh, also below expectations for Canada as well. So are they two banks presumably on hold? I mean, Canada goes next week, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: so market pricing has certainly fallen. So uh, market pricing uh, for next week for Bank of Canada has fallen to 15% from 45%. um, I think just... What we're seeing globally is inflation being relatively sticky on the core measures, so I think the bias for rates is still higher, although uh, our BNZ colleagues in uh, New Zealand do think the RBNZ is uh, pretty much done there, but the market is still pricing about a 50% chance of another hike by By, by February. And so I think that's the way we'll play it with the bank account really looking at the data um, and seeing whether inflation is indeed sticky or whether it's um, also coming back down. And just in terms of how long rates can be elevated for, uh, for longer, um, the Bank of America did report earnings o- uh, overnight and there had been some talk about um, bond valuation losses and how that could impact on the U.S banking sector. And indeed that was one of the reasons for uh, the bank meltdown in the regional banks back in March. They just noted that its mark to market adjustments and its uh, available for, sa- for sale securities are actually starting to fall back down. So, the portfolio of Bank of America for the available for sale securities has shrunk from about 230 billion a year ago to about 170 billion today. So, it seems to be becoming less of an issue, at least for the major banks in the US.
0: Right. So I think we've already mentioned quite a bit today uh, with UK CPI. Uh, we also, you know, you've mentioned the beige book, and uh, we get building permits for the United States as well. Uh, and uh, China, uh, Q3 GDP and their monthly activity date. I mean, the consensus for GDP, I think, is just a little bit below 1%, isn't it? Quarter on quarter. So the economy is picking up, but very slowly.
1: Oh, this is going to be very, very important, um, especially for age markets. Um, so not only do you get Q3 GDP, but you also get the monthly activity numbers. For September. That's where our focus is actually going to be. So, uh, the consensus for Q3 GDP sits at 0.9% Q on Q. But over the past couple of months, you have seen the PMIs in China start to stabilize and recover. In particular, the construction PMI has ticked up over the past two months. And that's suggestive of a lot of the uh, um, tweaks uh, to, to, to policy um, maybe playing out in sectors that aren't necessarily associated with real estate. So, building railway lines, roads, infrastructure, all those kind of things. Uh, so, we'll be looking at that and whether you do see a sustained pickup in uh, those monthly measures so the consensus for retail sales is at 4.9 percent year-on-year industrial production at 4.4 percent year-on-year um, to us at least in the incremental changes in terms of stimulus it looks like enough to stabilize the chinese economy um, and the question is do, is there further momentum thereafter
0: yeah, and does that spin off uh, to Australia's benefit? Exactly. All right, very good. Okay, well, we'll leave it there for now. Very good. A Busy day. Uh, we'll catch you again soon. Thanks, Tapas. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. And that's it. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. I'm not hanging up my headphones. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.